he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for taking time to join us as we take time to learn from God's Word together. The message you are about to hear comes from the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Listen to more sermons or learn more about the church at our website, capenazarene.org. Just a moment here, I'm going to read for you today for Jeremiah chapter 7. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, the first few chapters of this book, is setting up who he is as a prophet of the Lord and how the Lord has anointed him to speak to Judah. Judah is that southern kingdom after uh, Saul, uh, Solomon's reign that is um, honoring the Lord, trying their best to, but um, they're the end of their tenure as, as, as a nation. They are falling short, and Jeremiah is warning them and uh, is warning them about the, the upcoming exile that's going to happen if they don't change their ways. And we find, our, find ourselves listening to him saying exactly what needs to happen in Jeremiah chapter 7. Uh, starting with verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. Let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are, trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're safe. Only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, says the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name in which you trust, to the place that I gave to you and to your ancestors, just what I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, just as I cast out all your kinsfolk, all the offering of Ephraim. There's a problem here. There's an issue uh, going on. Uh, here, today, uh, these days, one of the things that uh, we recognize is there's, there's a little bit of a, a housing issue, a housing crisis, some will call it, a, a way in which people are saying, I don't know uh, how to find affordable living, I don't know how to find a home to buy in. A lot of people who are settling to their jobs or moving to find a job, are, the big struggle is finding where am I going to live? 
And how far am I willing to commute to afford a place to live? This is the big question. Where are we going to live? In Jeremiah chapter 7, it's a housing crisis of an entirely different sort. They're in the promised land, and, it's, and they have plenty of land, plenty of housing for them and their generations to come. This is part of what God had promised them. The housing crisis of a different sort here is, where is the Lord going to dwell? Is there housing for him? You see, uh, in Jeremiah, what he's saying is the Lord has, has desired to dwell in your presence. That is his call to him. He says to Jeremiah, you're, in fact, you're going to stand right in front of the gate of the temple, and you're going to say to them, hey, let, uh, you're going to tell them a message. And the message is this, I want to dwell with you. He says that a couple of times in this passage. I want to be with you. This is God's desire in our life. He wants to dwell and live with us, that we can know that in every day that we walk, in every, every moment that we can know, our God desires to be with us. And that is an awesome promise, that our God has said, hey, you're not just going to find me here on Sunday. You're not just going to find me whenever you have a, a special quiet time, but I want to be with you in the day-to-day. I want to help you in the decisions you have to make and in the, in the trials. I want, I want to be with you. And that's a part of his promise. And we can ask and we can, and we can pray and we can ask God to help open up our eyes and seize the way, see the way that he works day to day in our lives, in our relationships. God wants to dwell with us. This is Jeremiah's message to the people of Israel. God wants to dwell with you in this place. I kind of like to think of it as um, when we have somebody who asks us if they can stay over for a little bit. What do we do when that happens? Maybe it's someone coming to visit beautiful Maine during a time like this. We find ourselves, you know, straightening up. We find ourselves getting a room set aside for them. We, we, We do everything we can to make sure they have a place for when they dwell with us for whatever short period of time that is. In the same way, I think, for, for, for God to have a place in our life, we need to be able to say, hey, God, I'm going to do whatever you ask. I'm going to make sure that you have time, you have place, you have purpose in my life. And so Jeremiah's message to the people is, God wants to dwell in this place. There has been significant ink spilled by Old Testament scholars and, and scholars on Jeremiah about what this in this place might refer to. On the one hand, you have when the second time he says this, he says, hey, I want to dwell with you in this place in the land that I gave to your ancestors that that he's referring perhaps to their nation, to their country, to this land that he's given them. I want to dwell here with you. And that's a great understanding, a great way of looking at this. It means on the one hand that he's telling them what their nation ought to be about what Israel and Judah is supposed to be about. That when he says, hey, these are the things that you're doing. You're committing adultery, you're stealing, you're murdering, but these are the things I want you to do, like have justice for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, and don't shed innocent blood. That you should care about those who otherwise don't have a voice, and you should care about justice in your country, that this is important for God to dwell. And I think a lot of times, you know, that's a part of our lament. Where is God and is God interested in this country? And according to Jeremiah, God is very interested, and in particular, He is interested when the countries care about those who otherwise don't have means. 
Jeremiah tells us God wants to dwell with us in this place. Some scholars suggest that perhaps he doesn't mean just the country, but he means Jerusalem. After all, there's a compare-contrast happening with, with uh, Jeremiah in this passage. There's a little uh, juxtaposition between the northern kingdom Israel that's already been sent to exile and, and Judah. So maybe he's referring to Jerusalem. This is where God's holy city is now. That God is saying, hey, I want to dwell with you. I didn't with them or, or it didn't work out for them, but it's going to work out for you and I want to dwell with you. You'll be the remaining people. You'll be the holy people. And this is good news for people who say, hey, I see a lot of things going wrong in the world. But I'm going to follow God and I believe in God. I want to do everything I can. And the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah to people like that, to people like us, He says, hey, then you need to care about the oppression that happens to aliens and orphans and widows whenever the innocent are wronged around you. This has to be of paramount importance. Scholars also suggest maybe when he says in this place, we're supposed to look at where Jeremiah is actually standing. God told him to stand at the gates of the temple. This is where you're going to stand to deliver your message. So when he says God wants to dwell in this place, he's saying it to people who are coming to worship on Sunday morning. He's saying it to people who are getting ready to worship. He says, hey, God wants to dwell in this place. And, like, and they're like, yeah, of course, it's why we're here. <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, we came to see him. And he's like, no, you don't understand. God wants to meet you here. And I, and I think sometimes we like that emphasis too because it's a way of saying, hey, this is that holy place. This is that, that special place in this sanctuary. Now, on the one hand, I like to have emphasis in a, in a sense of reverence in a church and in a sanctuary when we come into worship. But this is where we're reminded of God's presence that's in our life, but not just in our life because we showed up on a Sunday morning because we happened to go to the place where God is kept. Like going to church is not like going to the zoo. You know, we're like, hey, this is where God's held and I just want to see if he shows up and comes out of his cave or something like that. Like, I, I hope I get to see God today. No, church is where we purposefully put ourselves before Him and say, and say, hey, here I am. If God is present in our world, if God is everywhere in our world, and if we believe, as I know we do in our church and we say we do, that God is at work in lives and we're just, we're just hoping and praying and we're helping people to see that God's interested and God desires salvation in their life, but God's already at work moving in ways that sometimes we can't see. And if God is already at work in our world, then going to church isn't about seeing God. We already know God's shown up. Coming to church and worshiping is rather, I think, about putting ourselves before the God who's already shown up. About saying, hey, here's my life. I, I, put, I want you to help conform it to your desire and to what you are already orchestrating and working out. This is us practicing, learning how to put ourselves before God in full faithfulness to what he is doing and so we come and and we invite God's presence into this into this place and I think part of it is because we want to have our eyes open to what God's already doing we want to see what he's about and so this is also what Jeremiah says and so here he is we are coming to this temple coming and, and God wants to dwell in this place and of course the people are like yeah but we we, we this, this is what we think of. 
But he says, do not believe these deceptive words. I like, uh, they have a way, uh, our translators have a way of just, just making the sentences make sense. In the Hebrew, it's literally, do not trust in the words that are the lie. Do not trust in the words that are the lie. Jeremiah is saying, do not believe the big lie. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Do not believe the lie. And this is the lie. The lie is the phrase, this is the temple of the Lord. This is where God is. This is the temple of the Lord. And he says it three times. Like There's all kinds of emphasis they're used to hearing. This is the temple of the Lord. Or maybe very solemnly, this is the temple of the Lord. Or, or maybe they get real emphatic about it, like our TBN brothers and sisters. This is the temple of the Lord. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, this is, it becomes, and it doesn't, and Jeremiah, when he says it three times, He's saying, hey, it doesn't matter how serious or emphatic you get, whether you're getting so serious and solemn and, hey, we are going to go to this special place, or whether you are just going to get emphatic and loud and let people know, hey, we're just going to amp things up so you feel like this is the temple Lord. He says, it doesn't matter how many times they say it. If your emphasis is, this is the place where we find God, he says, you are missing out. That is the great lie. You are listening to a word that has nothing to do with where God is pleased to dwell and where God wants to work. That is found, and their history testifies to this. This is found. I mean, the history as we read in, Deut- in Deuteronomy when Paul read for us. And found in not oppressing the alien, the orphan, the widow, and taking care of those who have nothing. And so they're not doing that. And he says, in fact, he says, you keep coming to church, you keep, you keep doing whatever you want to do and taking advantage of people and ruining people's lives, you're lying, you're cheating, you're taking advantage of each other, you're just doing what you want for yourself, and then you come back to church like it's a safe place. And he says, but it's not. You're turning it into a robber's den. And this is quite an interesting uh, analogy. A robber's den, a robber's den is, is a place you hide up to divvy up the loot. After, after, you've, after you've robbed people or hurt people, it's, it's, it's the caves you hide in until the danger passes. When you're watching a movie, you know, one of those bank heist movies, it's where they go and then get in a fight over how much money they all get. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the place you go where it's safe for a moment before you go out and you do it again. He's saying, this is what you've turned the temple into. You're just living your life however you want, away from God, and you're coming back because, oh, well, this is a safe place, but I'm still just going to leave and do whatever I want again. To do that turns what's supposed to be a holy place into a robber's den. It, It justifies what we do to other people. I'm okay, you know, I said the right prayer, I did the right thing, I'm good to continue doing what I need to do. And it cheapens God's grace so that we no longer live with any kind of obligation for what God wants in our life. We play the role of the robber to our neighbor as we continue to live however we want to live, taking advantage of people. But I think it also robs the grace of God. It says, hey, uh, God, you've been gracious and you, you, you've, you've been forgiving and, and you've got a place for me, but uh, uh, that's not changing anything about how I live. 
That's taking advantage of what God wants to do for us. The temple as a robber's den, I think, is a familiar phrase. We heard it this morning in Matthew chapter 21. I have heard that phrase a ton of times, and particularly in the context of Matthew chapter 21. Again and again, I've heard that kind of, that, you know, G, the, Jesus says to those selling in the temple, don't turn this into a robber's den, and then he's just flipping tables. This is where Jesus gets physical. It's one passage in the gospel where Jesus is getting absolutely physical. He's yelling at them. He's making a whip out of cords. According to John, he's going to need that whip to drive out the animals that they were selling. But, I mean, it seems like he's driving out the people, too. I mean, this is, this is a scary passage. And I would hear this phrase get quoted and brought up again and again in church life as I was growing up. It would happen when I was a youth group and we would have youth fundraisers. And we were like, hey, we're getting ready for a mission trip, or we're getting ready for some event we're doing, or something like that. And we had to raise some money. And so, you know, we would like bake cookies or something like that. And then we'd have it out in the foyer with a price tag on it. And there would always be someone who'd be like, wait a minute, hold on now. You're selling in the church. And Jesus got real scary about that, and uh, someone would have an issue with that. Or, you know, or we'd have a special band come to the church, and they'd start playing, and, and they'd have this big old concert. And at the front, they'd have their CDs for sale, back when we had CDs. They'd have their CDs for sale, their T-shirts for sale. And, and there'd always be someone, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't know if that's okay, because now we're selling on the church property. And Jesus, you know, we don't want to be a den of robbers. Or, you know, when just like the innocent girl having to come to church because this is where she knows a lot of people outside of her neighborhood. She comes with her Girl Scout cookie, you know, order form in January. And someone's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't know, I don't know. Or, you know, when we like to point at the bigger churches who have the coffee bars and are selling coffee to people before and afterwards. Is that okay? Is that okay? When Jesus calls them a den of robbers... I don't think he's speaking to those kinds of situations. I think he's quoting from Jeremiah. I think he's reminding them, hey, you know, the temple that they had in, in uh, Jerusalem, in Judah there, like Jeremiah reminded them, don't, don't forget about Shiloh. That temple was destroyed. You think this temple's going to last? And I think Jesus shows up and says, you haven't changed what you're doing today based on what the people were doing back in Jeremiah. They are still taking advantage of those who have nothing. I think it's no coincidence in Matthew chapter 21, as soon as he quotes from Jeremiah, it says, and then he's healing the poor, he's healing the lame, he's healing the sick, he's taking care of those who otherwise don't have anything. He is saying to them less about whether or not there's any kind of money, money changing hands. He's saying to them, if you are taking advantage of those who don't have anything in your communities, you have issues with God because you are robbing them and robbing His grace. It is a passage that is telling them they have forgotten what God is absolutely interested in. It is justice in your land. The issue here is not whether or not there was a market. The issue is with the ethics going on in that market were no different than the way that the rest of the world worked. They're continually taking advantage of people, assuming that this was also just a safe place to keep robbing, to keep doing that. And I think that happens in the church. That still happens. Whenever someone in the church says, oh, come on, give just a little bit more. You wanted to be happier? You wanted to be healthier? 
Just a little bit more. Whenever somebody says that, Jeremiah's words, saying you are turning his house into a den of robbers. Whenever a church operates primarily as a business model, we're just going to utilize the best growth strategy, we're just going to do whatever we can to become the next big thing. If it doesn't also take care of those who need it most in the communities. If money is being brought in at the expense of others, then it has become a den of robbers. And we are doing exactly what Jeremiah is warning them about. He says, there is a God who cares deeply for you and the people around you and He invites us to enter into their lives and to help where we can and to be a part of a solution that makes a difference among those who need it most. And so Jeremiah warns him. He says, hey, look at the temple in Shiloh. We don't talk about the temple in Shiloh very much because the temple in Shiloh didn't last very long. The temple in Shiloh was, was the temple where they worshipped before Solomon's temple was constructed. And when the Assyrians came and took away Israel and, and, and destroyed their land and took them off to exile, that temple was destroyed. And all that was left was the temple of Jerusalem. And, and, and so people started saying, that's okay, we're the good guys now. We've still got our church. We're the good guys. God's on our side. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. And so that was, that was the narrative. I mean, you can see that played out in the book of Kings. Northern kings are all bad. They're terrible. Oh, but us southern kings, we're great. We're good. And Jeremiah says, look at that temple. It's going to be your future as well if you don't remember those whom God has called us to remember because they share the same history. I think in our life too, I think, I think the most detrimental thing I've, I've, I see in a new Christian's life is when they forget where they came from. And when they become a Christian, if, if not discipled, in a healthy way, if not modeled love, the love of God well, they become very judgmental of people who still haven't made that turn yet, of people who are still living where they used to live. They say, hey, I became a Christian. I changed my mind. My life's getting back in order. Why don't they get their life back in order? Oh, they're terrible. They're horrible. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. What just happened? Did you forget where you were? And so this is what Jeremiah is saying to the people of God. Let us not forget where God has led us out from. And so forget those who still need it today. So Jeremiah says the same thing will happen. And he warns them about the exile. And sure enough, the story of Jeremiah is the story of his people going, carrying off into exile. It seems to end with this kind of terrible like warning. You're going to be forgotten. But the book of Jeremiah ends with a bit of hope. Even though he's the last prophet of the people of Judah before they disappear into the land of Babylon, taken away. One of the last words is, is God tells this prophet, he says, I want you to buy a plot of land. Everyone's, everyone's going, I want you to get a plot of land. I want you to put a marker there because you're coming back. The people of God are coming back. And there's a way, a way in which God says, there is nothing that your life leads to. There is no sin. There is nothing that fully takes you out of my desire for you to be redeemed and to enter into my promises. Jesus, during his, uh, during his walk and his life, 
when one of the times when they're having an issue with him, they're talking about Jesus. Hey, do you, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you overturn these tables? Can, can you critique these priests? Can you critique this temple? One of the things he'll end up saying to them is, says, hey, you tear down this temple in three days, it'll raise again. And what, uh, uh, what the gospel writer will tell us is that Jesus was talking about his own body. He, he was helping them recognize that, that the temple of God is found where God has chosen to dwell and where God is present. And so Jesus invites us, indeed shows us, that God is pleased to dwell in that one, in Jesus Christ. And we are welcomed indeed to receive Him, to believe in Him, and to know that our God has said, I am pleased to dwell with you in this place, in our life, where we are. However messy it is, or however clean we think it is, whatever He says, I am pleased to dwell there. I want to be there. And He asks us to respond to His grace, with grace for those around. Because our God is the God who indeed can raise new temples. Our God is the one who indeed raises new life. And Jesus is the only temple that was rebuilt for all eternity. And He invites us to believe and follow Him that we too might find our God is pleased to dwell with us where we are for all eternity and welcomes us to be there. And so we are kind of in a place where we have to find ourselves saying, okay, God, how do I dwell with you in this place where I am, where you have me? And it means we're going to have to have our eyes open for where uh, God puts people in our life. And instead of being quick to be like, oh man, I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't like what's happening there, for us to say, okay, but God's worked on me. How can I help there as well? We find ways in the church of kind of making it programmatic find ways of, of, in the church of, of trying to find ways of helping in just kind of certain systems and, and like routines, like, like Alabaster offering. Hey, we know there are areas that just cannot build a church like this, and we're going to help. And so we find ways of doing that. Or we have speakers who come in and talk about programs they're doing, like when we had Hank Dunn here, we had others who come in and talk about things that they're doing around the city. We find ways sometimes of doing that. And it's good indeed to be involved in that. But I think sometimes in our life as well, there are moments, there are opportunities we have where we see something that's wrong, where we see an injustice or we see a need. And sometimes it's quick to let the words of the world kind of get in our ears first and say, oh, well, they deserved it or they did this first or they messed up in this way. Or, oh, there's all kinds of reasons why we're not going to step in here today. But I think the grace of God compels us to remember where He's brought us and compels us to remember that God's heart and God's presence desires to be among those who have had nothing and those who are still struggling. And He invites us to enter into the justice, into the care of those who need it most. And find indeed that our God is still pleased to dwell with us in those places. And we might be surprised indeed by how God's grace continues to work and how we are invited to be a part of what God is doing in our world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today I thank you for the words of Jeremiah. 
I think a lot of times when I, um, when I think of my faith, um, when I think I'm where I am with you, I, I just, uh, I, I just, I, I turn inward. Oh, I know what I think. I know what I believe. Uh, I know how I feel about you. I, I, whatever it is, I just turn inward. And so, uh, um, there are a lot of different safe places there. In personal prayer time, and coming to church on Sunday, and all those kind of things. Your prophet Jeremiah reminds us that our faith is lived out. That our faith can't just be about returning to those safe places. But living in and among and looking for ways in which we can participate in the grace that you're sharing in our world. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for that word. I thank you that um, you invite us at all times throughout history to say, hey, let's just look outside of where we're comfortable. Let's look where God's grace is needed. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray today that um, in this moment with our heads bowed and so get ready to pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would help us just, just confess where we have let other things and other stories and other doubts creep in and get in the way of where you call us to be gracious. And Heavenly Father, I pray that, I don't know, just open up our hearts to uh, the next life that you put in our way that crosses our path. And that, Heavenly Father, we might say, how can I be your grace? How can I show, indeed, your love and your justice in this situation? And, Heavenly Father, it is my hope that we will find that you are pleased to dwell there. And that we will see you and feel you in all new ways. And see that, indeed, you are still the God saving and delivering your people. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be a part of that work. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you as you serve him this week.